Hi kids, I'm Bill Allerton from Urban Tiger Radio, deep in the concrete jungle heart of Sheffield, United Kingdom. And with me here today, as she is every day, is Nelly, <coughs> the Urban Tiger. I hope you're enjoying these stories that I will continue to bring you, but don't worry if you are enjoying them, there are quite a few left yet. It will be a while before we get to the end of them. So, I'm Bill Allerton from Urban Tiger Radio, and this is your next story, coming right up now. Which Witch Wood? A story written by Bill Allerton, with suggestions as to character and plot by Mariam and Innes of Sharrow Lane Primary School. Which Witch Wood? It was deep and dark, in the Witchwood, and Mariam and Innes had been told by everyone that they should never go there, but, as usual, they didn't listen. "'Where are we?' asked Mariam, looking around her and seeing only gnarled, old and blackened trees. The trees curled the air with their branches above them, almost blotting out the sky, like giant overshadowing hands that were about to reach down to the ground and pluck them from the earth. Don't worry, said Innis. I tied the end of this reel of cotton round the first tree. All we have to do is follow it back. They set off, following the length of cotton as it wound around tree after tree, and was caught on snaggly, prickly bush after snaggly, prickly bush. "'I don't remember coming this far,' said Mariam, after an hour had passed. "'Neither do I,' said Innes. "'I've already wrapped more cotton around my reel than I started with.' "'It must be magic,' said Mariam. "'I'm frightened, and I want to go home.' "'Don't worry,' said Innes. "'Look.' and he pointed through the closely pressing trees to a small clearing. There's a light. We can ask the way home if there's someone there. What if it's the witch? asked Mariam. Don't be silly, said Innes. There are no such things as witches. They wove their way amongst the gnarled old trees and the snaggly prickly bushes until they came to a small clearing. To one side of the clearing was a large, dark hole formed between two enormous rocks. The light they had seen came from a fire that was burning cheerily in the mouth of that cave. On a log beside the fire sat an old but kindly-looking woman, stroking a large black cat. The children were very glad to see her. She smiled at them as they walked across the clearing, "'Welcome, my dearies,' she said. She waved at them to sit on the log beside her. "'And what are you doing out in the wild witch wood today?' "'We're lost,' said Mariam, "'and we hoped you could tell us the way home.' "'Which way would you like to go?' 
asked the old lady, throwing a bat's eye and a toad's ear into the stew in a pan on the fire. "'Which way is it?' asked Innis. "'Whichever way you'd like, my dear, is,' said the old lady. "'Yes,' said Mariam. "'But which way?' "'Ah,' said the old woman. "'You want the witch way.' And she leapt up from the log, turned so swiftly in the air that a small whirlwind started around her, sending all the dust in the clearing into the fire and from there up into the air in a spinning spiral tower that descended to earth in a sparkling shower around them until there before them stood a witch the like of which they had only ever heard her hair was long and matted and hung from underneath her witch's hat as snaggly and prickly as the bushes around the clearing her face, once kindly and old, was now a snarling mask of uneven teeth and large red blotchy spots that oozed yellow stuff all down her chin. <sighs> her nose was long and hooked and covered with clumps of dark, bristly hairs. Her back was bent and twisted and as gnarled as the trees in which Innis and Mariam had become lost, and her cloak was as black as the night that was fast approaching. With a loud yow, the cat jumped up and sat on her shoulder, glowering at the children. I want to go, shouted Mariam. And so you shall, my dear, said the witch, but not home. Into my cave you shall go until I find a use for you. With a wave of her hand, the children found themselves lifted from their feet and dropped carelessly into the mouth of the cave. Innis got to his feet and tried to run, but there was an invisible wall across the cave mouth that even he could not break through, try as he might. The cat stalked backwards and forwards across the clearing, as if guarding them from escape. The witch turned around once, anticlockwise, and slowly turned back into the kindly old lady. She sat down on the log again and continued to place things into the stew. Come on, said Mariam to Innis. Let us look in the back of the cave to see if there's anything that will help us escape. They walked on into the cave, barely able to see by the faint light cast from the fire outside until... Look, said Innis, a book. On a shelf carved into the rock by man, Many, many years ago, there was a large leather-bound book. Innis stretched up and reached it down. It was so heavy that they placed it on the floor to read. The pages had no numbers, but in the top corner of each page there was a diagram of a pattern of stars, and each one was different. The words were plain to read, but they were jumbled up in a way that made no sense at all to the children. Oh, this is no help, said Innis. It's not thick enough to stand on to get over the invisible wall, and it's too heavy to throw. He closed the book with a sudden snap. Let me see that, said Mariam. She turned the book around to read what it said on the cover. Look here, she pointed at the front cover. It says, Grimoire. That means it's a book of spells. I wonder if there's one that will get us out of here. They opened the book 
and began to read the spells to themselves, looking for a clue from one of them, but all the words seemed to be the same, just written out in a different order on every page. We have to try one, said Innis, or we'll be here forever, or even longer. I'll try this one, said Marion. Well, we'd better say it together, said Innis. I don't want you turning me into a frog by accident. What if we both turn into frogs, said Marion. Then when the witch's back is turned, we'll hop it, said Innis. Together, they recited the spell words from the page with a pattern of stars that Mariam thought she recognised from the north sky. Rumble, crumble, apple, jungle, cat and witch and bird shall tumble, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, one in two, them all shall go. Outside the cave, the cat that sat on the witch's lap suddenly disappeared. Ah, screamed the witch, leaping up from the log as if she'd been scalded. A bright red ladybird buzzed around her ear and she swatted it away. My cat, she called out to the children in the cave. What have you done to my cat? The children scurried back into the cave as she came nearer, leaving the book behind them in the dust. The witch waved her hand and stepped through the invisible barrier. So, she said, you found my book. You better tell me what spell you used to make my cat disappear. A bright red ladybird buzzed around her head, and in a tiny, tinny voice that the witch could not hear in her anger, it said, Meow. Go away, shouted the witch, swatting it with her hand. Oh, said the ladybird, but no one heard. Tell me, shouted the witch, what page was it on? I don't remember, said Mariam. There are no numbers. All we want is to go back, said Innes. Can't you just send us back? Oh, I can send you back all right, said the witch. Back in time. And she picked up the book and began to read. Apple, crumble, rumble, jungle, eeny, witch, cat, meeny, mumble, them in two all one shall go. Suddenly, a whirlwind swept around the children. The air filled with dust and flashes of light as the sun rose and set outside the cave ever faster and faster until the light became just a grey blur. After a while, it slowed and stopped. Outside the cave, the sun rose in a clear pink sky. The trees had changed too, they were taller and more tropical-looking, with strange fruit hanging under their leaves. The bushes were greener, with large spikes, and the air was filled with the roar and crash of giant creatures making their way through the forest beyond. "'Where are we?' asked Marion. Innes looked cautiously outside the cave. "'Well, at least the witch has gone,' he said. "'But look!' he pointed above the treetops, to where the gigantic head of a huge creature looked down at them. Its mouth was open and its slavering jaws were filled with razor-sharp white teeth from which hung shreds of its breakfast. Its skin was green and scaly and its beady little eyes watched them carefully as they stared back at it. Suddenly it lunged towards them with its mouth open. 
The children ran back into the cave for safety. The creature's head was too big to enter, so it stood there with its nose in the cave, watching them, breathing a foul stench over them. I don't think it ever cleans its teeth, said Marion. As long as it doesn't use me for a toothpick, said Innis, I don't care. Its mother doesn't either, said Marion. Oh, she wouldn't let it go out smelling like that. After a time, in which they thought they would never, ever get rid of the smell, the creature went away. Carefully, Marion and Innis crept from the cave into the bright sunlight. Hello, said a voice from somewhere above them. They looked around and above the rocks, but could not see anyone. Hello, said the voice again. Who are you? Where are you? asked Innis. I'm Pteri, the Pterodactyl, said the voice. And suddenly, a huge, scaly, bird-like creature stood up from the top of the rock where he'd been perched and spread his wings wide. The children could see now that he was the exact same colour as the rocks, and that was why they hadn't seen him at first. His wings were each four metres wide, and he stood three metres tall. On the top of his head, he had a sharp, bony projection that pointed backwards like a rudder. His beak was a metre long and very, very sharp. The children dashed back into the cave. Don't hide, said Pateri. I've been looking for someone to talk to for ages. These dinosaurs only know how to roar and eat things. I sometimes ask them if they think it's a nice day. Roar, they say. Or if you enjoy the rain. Roar, they reply. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets really boring, don't you think? And as I was only saying to my mother yesterday, it was about time there was someone around with whom we could have a decent conversation. And she said to me, Pateri, you talk too much. And if you ever found anyone to talk to, they'd soon wish they were deaf. Now, I don't know about you, but I think, well... I think she's right, said Innis. Oh, said Pateri, disappointed. Don't tell me my mother is right. Don't you know, said Mariam, mothers are always right. And what did your mothers say? asked Pateri. They said not to go into the witchwood, said Innis, and they were right because now we are really lost. I'll help you find your way back, said Pateri, and with one flap of his enormous wings he hopped down into the dust of the clearing. Hop on my back and I'll take you for a spin. We've done enough spinning for one day, thank you, said Mariam. Jump on, said Innis, climbing onto Pateri's back. We'll get a better view from high up. Right then, said Pateri. Rudder, and he swung his head from side to side. Check. Flaps, he watched the edges of his wings turn up and down. Check. He dug the claws of his toes into the dust like a runner getting ready to start. Okay, he said. Which way do you want to go? Oh no, said Innis. I'm not going through all that again. Just take us up, said Mariam. Hold on tight, said Pateri. He took three short paces forwards, then ran towards the trees as fast as he could go. Mariam and Innis were jolted and shaken with every step, but dared not let go. Pateri ran faster and faster until it seemed they would hit the trees, then suddenly his wings opened wide and flat, and up they soared, turning and twisting away from the tops of the branches into a clear pink sky. Out on the horizon, storm clouds gathered around the top, of a very high mountain. Smoke 
poured from it into the sky, lighting the clouds with an orange glow. When they were so high that the tyrannosaurs below looked like little green mice scurrying, but Terry levelled out and began to glide in the warm air rising from the forest. Do you recognise anywhere? he asked. The children looked down, but the landscape below them was unlike anything they had seen before. Wherever they looked, there were trees and dinosaurs of all shapes and sizes roaming through them. There were clearings in the forest where herbivores had cleared the vegetation in their hunger. There were vast, roaring rivers and huge, deafening waterfalls that filled the valleys with noise and spray. Now we're really lost, said Mariam, clinging tight to Pateri's scale. I don't recognise anywhere. My mum might know, said Pateri. Let's go and find her. Hold on. And with that, he banked so sharply to the left that Innes and Mariam could see the whole of the forest floor beneath them as he circled. There she is, shouted Pateri into the wind, and they descended from the sky like a dropped stone. He spread his wings again and levelled out over the top of the forest, skimming lightly above the tips of the trees. Suddenly, a Diplodocus reared its great head in front of them to see who was shouting. Whoa! shouted Pateri, and tried to climb away steeply, but a wingtip caught and they spiralled across the tops of the trees, bouncing and sliding until they came to rest on the ground in a small space between four of the largest trees Innis had ever seen. Ouch, said Pateri. That was nearly as bad as... And did I tell you about... Well, I nearly forgot. Shush, whispered Marion. What are these? Pateri looked around him in surprise. Oh, oh, he said. Dinosaur eggs. Don't move. Innis slid down to the ground to stand between the eggs. They were larger than any eggs he had seen before and so big that he thought he could carry no more than one at a time. The clearing in which they had crashed was filled with them and they all felt warm to the touch. We better leave before their mother comes back, said Innis. Too late for that, said Pateri. Look. The children looked up, and there, towering over them, was a huge tyrannosaur, easily twice the size of the one they had seen earlier that day. She studied them carefully with her bright, beady eyes, turning her head this way, then that, wondering what to do. Why doesn't she attack us? asked Marion. The eggs, said Pateri. She doesn't want to break any of her eggs. We dinosaurs are slowly dying out and every egg is precious to her. I have an idea, said Innis. Marion, pick up an egg. You too, Pateri. Now follow me. Each carrying a huge egg, they picked their way carefully through the others to the edge of the clearing. The mother dinosaur watched them closely. If she came too close, Innis lifted the egg he was carrying above his head and threatened to drop it. The mother dinosaur drew back and allowed them to continue. Soon they reached the huge pile of rocks where Pateri lived with his mother. The dinosaur was following them closely, peering down at them through the tops of the trees. Hello, said Pateri's mum. She nodded up at the dinosaur, towering over them. Have you upset the neighbours again? Only by accident, said Pateri. I promise, 
It reminds me of the time that I tripped over that vine and my wings got... Oh, shush, said his mum, before I go deaf. She turned to the children. Honestly, she said, he could talk us all into extinction if I let him go on. She looked more closely at them. What kind of dinosaurs are you two? We're not dinosaurs, said Miriam. We're humans. Then you're early, said Pateri's mother. You're not due for another million years. But I had heard a rumour. We were just trying to get home, said Innis. We know we're not supposed to be here, but a wicked witch cast a spell on us and sent us back in time. Then you should return to where Pateri found you in case she comes looking for you. Well, that's a good idea, said Mariam. Innis climbed up onto Pateri's back and Mariam onto his mom's. Clutching the eggs tightly so that the dinosaur would not try to eat them, they took off from the clearing and flew towards the cave with the dinosaur lumbering on behind through the forest, crashing aside trees and bushes and trampling anything that got in the way. They circled down and landed in the clearing outside the cave, just as night was drawing in. It's too dark to fly home now, said Pateri's mom. We'll have to spend the night here. There was room to press deep into the back of the cave so that the dinosaur could not reach them while they slept. Mariam and Pateri's mom curled up together and went straight off to sleep. Pateri and Innis stood just outside the cave mouth, listening in the dark to the huge crunching and trampling sounds made by the mother dinosaur as she made her way slowly towards them, following the scent of her eggs. Pateri looked up into the sky. Aren't the stars beautiful? he said. Yes, said Innis, and I like the patterns they make. Look! And he pointed, suddenly remembering the pattern on the top of the page of the spell they had cast on the witch's cat. Yes, we call that one the ladybird, said Pateri, because all the stars are evenly spaced, like the spots on the ladybird's back. They remind me of... Shush, said Innis, who had just had a very good idea. In the morning, he said, can you find me something to make paint with? What's paint? asked Pateri. Well, it's a kind of a colour that you daub on walls, and it lasts, replied Innis, walking back into the cave and sitting down. I know some berries that you can't get off your scales. You was squashed them, said Pateri. I remember my cousin. I put some on his landing rock. And, but Innis was already fast asleep. When they woke in the morning, the mother dinosaur was stood outside, waiting. How will we get past her? asked Marianne. Don't worry, said Pateri. Just watch. He stepped right to the back of the cave and suddenly ran forward so quickly that when he came out of the cave mouth, he shot like a rocket through the gap beneath the dinosaur's legs, spread his wings and climbed swiftly up into the free air above the trees. I'll be back soon, he shouted, and with a flap of his sunlit wings, he soared rapidly away. Very soon, he returned, carrying something in his beak. As he approached, he folded his wings and dropped from the sky, picking up speed all the time until, spreading his wings wide, he dropped flat with the clearing floor. He shot through the gap between the dinosaur's legs and crashed into the back of the cave. Ennis helped him up. 
Have you brought my paint? Yes, mumbled Pateri, through a full beak. He passed Innis a small bundle wrapped in vine leaves. Inside was what looked like orange mud, but smelt sweet like juniper berries. Thanks, said Innis. Here, Mariam, give me your hand. Put it flat against the ceiling, like that. He took a leaf from the bundle and dipped it into the orange mud. Carefully, he drew around Mariam's hand, then did the same to his hand. When they took their hands away, there were outlines of them both. Innis then drew the pattern of stars as they had appeared to him in the night sky. Around them, he drew the shape of a ladybird. All we can do now is wait, he said, and settle down to see if anything happened. Outside the cave, the mother dinosaur stood faithful watch over the people who had taken her precious eggs. Pateri walked up to the cave mouth. Nice day, he asked. Roar, said the dinosaur. Pateri looked up into the sky. Might rain later? Roar, said the dinosaur. Boring, said Pateri. Come away, said his mother. While we are waiting, said Innis to Pateri, can I teach you a song? Love it, said Pateri. It goes like this, said Innis. There once was a jolly swagman. The witch had searched all the forest, looking for her cat, because a black cat is at least half of a witch's power and is known as her familiar. All the while she was searching, a very, very annoying ladybird was circling her ear and making the weirdest noises. It was all she could do to keep swatting it away. It did seem very clever for a ladybird because it always managed to dodge her. Giving up in despair, she returned to the cave and went inside to try again to see if she could tell which spell the children had used. She lit a fire and took a burning brand in the cave for extra light. In the extra light, she saw something high up on the cave wall that she had not noticed before. There were outlines of two hands, small like children's, with one larger than the other. Next to them was a drawing of a ladybird, and inside that was a pattern that she recognised from the night sky, and from the pages of her book. It's a message, she shouted in glee. A message! She took down the book from the shelf and opened it at this page that had the same pattern at the top. With her fingers crossed in case of accident, she read the spell backwards. Go shall all them into one, mo miny meeny eeny tumble shall bird and witch and cat, jungle, apple, crumble, rumble. Instantly, the ladybird, which had landed quietly on her shoulder, turned back into her favourite cat. Oh, puss, she said, stroking him lovingly. How wonderful to have you back. It makes me so happy. Ah, she said all at once, as something strange began to happen to her. Her witch's hat disappeared, and a jeweled tiara took its place. Her face and body became young and lovely, and her black coat turned into a shining, marvellously sequined ball gown that was almost, but not quite, as beautiful as the dresses Mariam wears to school. Oh, heck, 
she said. I've become a fairy. What will all the other witches say? I knew this would happen to me if I ever became happy. It's the thing all witches dread. She paused a moment to appreciate all her new clothes. She examined her face and new tiara in the reflection from the water in the stewpan. But now it has, she thought. Perhaps it's not so bad after all. I must reward those children. She read the sending people into the dim and distant past spell backwards and out loud. Go shall one all into them, mumble meanie, catly cheenie, jungle rumble, crumble apple. There was a blinding flash of light and a puff of smoke that sent the fairy staggering back against the cave wall. Before her stood Innis and Mariam, each clutching a huge dinosaur egg, and behind them was... The fairy put her hand to her mouth. She had never seen such a thing in her life, even as a witch. Two huge pterodactyls. Oh no, she said. What have I done? It's all right, said Mariam. It's only for Terry. And his mum, said Innes. But they should not be here, said the fairy. This is so dangerous. They won't hurt you, said Mariam. They're nice, really. But Terry might talk you to death, though, said his mum. No, no, said the fairy, this is dangerous, because if we don't go back safely, then it will change the future, and the place in time where we now live might become very, very different. What about the eggs? asked Innis. They must go back too, said Pateri's mom. I agree, this could be dangerous. And moms are always right, said Pateri. Between them, they wove a basket from the reeds outside the cave, large enough to carry the three dinosaur eggs and be carried in the beak of Pateri's mum. Can't I just keep the one? asked Innis. Yes, said Pateri, and then it would remind you, just like they remind me of my great aunt when... Shush, said his mum. They placed the eggs carefully into the basket and said their goodbyes. The fairy recited the sending people into the dim and distant past spell the right way round, and Pateri and his mum returned with the eggs to the time in which they belonged. When Pateri and his mum arrived, no time had passed, and the dinosaur was still waiting outside the cave. They carefully rolled the eggs out to her, and she clutched them in her tiny front paws and turned to stomp away back to her nest. Pateri shouted after her, Have a nice day! said the dinosaur. Boring, said Pateri. His mother cuffed him gently with her wing. Shush, she said. And they took off together and soared back into the kind of life that all pterodactyls should have, flying free on soaring wings and riding the breezes home. Halfway home, Pateri suddenly burst into song at the top of his voice, remembering the tune that Innis had taught him. Shush, said his mother. Hmm, humans, I can see no future in them. And what on earth is a billabong? Back in their own time, the fairy led Mariam and Innis to the edge of the forest and showed them the way home. Will you be here if we come again? asked Innis. No, said the fairy, now that I am no longer a witch, I cannot live in witch wood, I have to go live in fairy glade. Can we visit you there? asked Mariam. No, said the fairy, it's somewhere over the rainbow. You won't find me, but you will never forget. 
She touched either of them briefly on the forehead, and a spark like a little star grew, then slowly faded away. Goodbye, she said, and promptly vanished. When Mariam and Innes arrived home, their moms asked where they'd been today. Oh, said Mariam, down by the wood, talking to the witches and the fairies. And what about you, Innes? they asked. Oh, nothing much, said Innes, just teaching pterodactyls to sing. You children, said their mums, you have such imaginations. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... (coughs) From Nelly. Goodbye.